Have you ever looked at a lone cold tap in a public toilet and wondered what it would say if it could talk? Nor have we, but this is the basis of comedian Barney Duncan's show Taphead, complete with a giant tap that he wears while in character. Barney returned to New Zealand from Melbourne in October after six years working in the comedy clubs there. It was during that time that he came up with Taphead and made the prop. He brought it into the studio for the interview and you can take a look at it on our webpage rnz.co.nz slash standing room only. Barney, let me take you back to your love of performing. Is there, is, did something happen? Did somebody influence you? What, what led you to a life on stage? Um, well, I think it was my mum. She was an actress, and so I was born just outside of Palmerston North, and then she would do stuff at Centrepoint in the early days. And I remember going along to see Mum on stage when I must have been three and sitting in the audience with my dad and going and seeing her on stage going, that's Mum, and no one else. But she was, like, in costume... And I and I went. Oh, no one else knows that's Mum. She's playing a trick on everyone. This is incredible. <laughs> so I just thought it was this cool trick that she was playing, and I kind of I, I got captivated by that. And then um, yeah, and then she I got into this. Uh, there, uh, she had a clothes shop in, in Square Edge in Palmerston North, and out the back of that there was a theatre after-school workshop thing that I wandered into one day when I was four and uh, start, and just the lady, Janet Aitchison, just let me hang out. And and so I started doing that. And, yeah, and then I, I, I don't know. I just always like... I guess I always like telling stories and, put you know, putting on little presentations of my version of how a Kiss concert might go or... or um, I just liked doing demonstrations and, and performances for my parents and and then didn't really shake it during high school, found I was good at improv when that sort of theatre sports thing was uh, hitting New Zealand and uh, briefly thought I'm going to be a movie star in my, like, when I was 20 because I was, everyone thinks they're, I don't know. I, I, I did, anyway. I thought I was going to be an incredible movie star guy. Um, luckily, I lost that ambition, but still retained, like, a love of theatre. I just started volunteering at what was then the silo, hanging out, being one of those little theatre rats, just going, I'll, I'll build that. I know how to... I know how to do that. Yeah, I can do ventriloquism and just like going home and going, how do you, how do I build a set? How do I make this model I said I could do for those people? But just saying yes to as much stuff as I could. That's a great, that's a great background, both your family background and that can-do attitude. What about finding, finding your place on stage? You know, the, the absurdism that comes into your work. Where is that from? Um, that's from my working, I guess, with my, my best friend Trig V. Wakenshaw. So we started a company together in 2002 called Theatre Beating that was like a, um, to begin with, it was a silent, we made silent physical comedy. We wanted to make sort of modern Buster Keaton, Laurel and Hardy stuff. And we did that for a while. 
and then and started adding words in. But I, I remember when we were, we were devised something, we both kind of took Ren and Stimpy as our our model because of the of what we would call the cartoon logic, like anything when you you can create the rules of your universe and then once you establish that anything can happen then anything can happen and i think it's just burrowing just deeper into that and i found more and more i i find that exciting i guess because there's no limit once you establish if, if if you're like hello this is the show and then and fairly quickly establish that this isn't going to be uh, normal rules, normal universe, normal physics kind of show, then you can, as long as you're... I think it's just... Uh, it's fun to play that test. Like, I hope you still find me calm and charming and a great performer that you will follow because I'm going to go to some pretty strange places. You still with me? Like, that kind of... I like the uh, tension of, like, how far can can we go together? But it's actually pretty easy once you, once you're settled in and and you feel okay. This performer, I feel calm in their presence. There, I think I'm going to have an okay time. I don't really know what's going to happen, but I believe it's going to be an enjoyable time. Then you can. Um, then I found, yeah, I I guess I'm just. I don't. I don't, I really. Don't, I don't know whether surreal. It's a, it's an interesting question. I, I think I've always looked at like objects and things as having personalities potentially, or and that's where the tap comes in. Yeah, I guess, does it? That's also from my mother. She was a big anthropomorphizer of her world, um, and I reference that in the show as sort of a way that people might deal with loneliness. Um, well, well, let's delve into this because I think I mean tap tap head. And this is a first for us. You have brought in your your tap head. It's a thing of beauty, I must say, and modelled it for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the concept behind this, I mean, I can I can see that it's funny, but you're also looking at loneliness. So, but what's the story of what is the story you've created of tap head? What's what ta- what's tap head's world? Um, it's a sort of pa- parallel world. So there's two different universes going on at the same time in the show. I kind of made it. As we were talking about earlier on, around that the the fertile stand-up comedy world in Melbourne, uh, I was going to a lot of open mics, which are that, those are sort of open mics on the on the ladder of hierarchy, uh, the like entry level, where everyone just turns up and puts their name on a list to try and get up and do five minutes of stuff. But they're kind of like therapy sessions because these are people that are a little bit socially awkward or have some issues and they're usually quite young people that that feel like they don't fit in but for some reason this kind of comedy community is a really beautiful place where they can just get up on stage and be themselves and and try and and try and weave a joke into it but essentially it's just five minutes of like I feel rats I've had a dumb week blah 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 and and with the hope of like making a connection really that's what they're seeking so there was a, a kind of a parallel of that, that making a show about that stand-up scene, but what if that person was a tap who worked in a public toilet and had a dumb job 
but then instead of going after after work, would go and try out his plumbing jokes at an open mic night. So that's like the Taps life. He's very lonely. It's a kind of a uh, Tom Waitsian small apartment, always raining, film noiry kind of Bukowski two-bit job land. And then I do jokes as Barney Juankin, a successful comedian. <laughs> uh, and then those two stories kind of interweave. Uh, all of the jokes that the comedian myself does are anthropomorphic. So they're jokes about cars crying and um, eels going to a school prom and just that kind of thing. And I, it, it's sort of, yeah, it's just like why... I kind of ask the question, why am I doing this? Did I inherit my mother's propensity for anthropomorphization? Because she would do that um, in her... She passed away in March, but in her... The last years, she was living in Topol, she was alone, she wasn't that well... But she still needed to practice empathy, you know. If you can't go, if you if you're having a bad chemo day and you can't go outside and interact with people at the supermarket or whatever, you still need to have that. People talk to their dogs. People talk to their houseplants. She would do that, but she would also talk to her curtains and her cups as she was washing them. You know, oh, I'm washing you first today. I washed you second yesterday, but today I washed you first. That kind of thing, and I found that. Really fascinating. So I would ring her up from Australia and go, Hey, Mum, what have you talked to today? And she'd tell me, I'm like, Okay, cool. And I would put that into the show or try and do a joke about it. So it's, yeah, I guess it's about the cert the things people do to make connections, really. So is your hope that people come to care about the tap. I mean, you put the tap, you can't, you're going to laugh when we see it on your head. It's, it's a thing of beauty. I really love it. But that's the first reaction. There's a man with a huge tap on his head. Ha, that, that's really funny. But as the show goes on, because of these scenes that you're looking at, do you find that the audience goes goes with you? You know, that, that they also start to believe yeah. in the tap. People uh, care a lot more about the tap than me, the human. And that's good, right? Yeah, it's amazing because it, it's, I mean, w w one of the questions myself and Katie more than the, the director asked in Melbourne when we were first making it, it's like, can I make an audience care about a tap? And the answer is completely, like very easily and quickly. Can you do that? Because uh, his situation, he's a, he's a, he's a lonely tap. He's the only tap on the basin. He's a cold tap. There's no hot. He's just, he's like, I wonder what it would be like if I had a hot tap. Oh, you're breaking my heart here, but he's, Barney. <laughs> but he's just, because uh, often, I mean, I did I did think about this in a public toilet in Melbourne at a park. I noticed that kind of those utilitarian stainless steel toilets, there's only ever a cold tap. They don't, they don't give you a hot sometimes. And I was just watching this tap, and it was dripping. And I was like, man, wow, I wonder if that tap's actually sad and crying because it doesn't have a hot tap to hang out with all day. But there was a hint of one, like there's that little mound where they could put one in. That there's a gap 
They could plumb a hot one in. Anyway, anyway, we're diving deep into a basin well, here. Well, we, <laughs> we are diving deep into a basin. But for you, when, you, when you're wearing the tap head, it, does that become – we're just talking about the audience and it becoming real for the audience. What about for you? Yeah, it's a very interesting thing. It's like mask work, but 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 you can't. I can't see the audience. I can only see there's a little slither of light through the nozzle that I can see the ground. And you've got the microphone there anyway, haven't yeah. you? So, so I, I'm totally blind. So, but you still have a brain movie going on of what's happening, you know. So I'm I'm watching. I have a I have a a visual going on in my head of of this image of but it's sort of like a heightened image of uh I hope what the audience is seeing but I'm definitely living inside the movie of the tap yeah I mean I do become it it's very easy to it's very easy to to get lost in the character of the thing when you're encapsulated in a sort of sensory deprecation tube, like, because I can't see and my, and my hearing is a bit muffled. So all I've, and I've my own voice kind of reverbs around within the chamber of the tap that I, I get pretty, like, immersed in, in him, yeah. So the tap uh, emerged in Melbourne. We, just, we touched on that Melbourne scene. Comparing the Melbourne comedy or live performance scene and what's happening back here. You've been back since October. I mean, are they, are they very different? Or the Melbourne audiences, did, did they love the tap as much as, you know, um, New Zealand? No. I mean, the Melbourne scene is, I would say, healthier. Uh, Melburnians totally consider going out and seeing some comedy on a Tuesday night as a thing that... They they go. I think they just go out a bit more. They go out. They there's a very big, long-standing comedy scene in Melbourne. Yeah, yeah, and there's this comedy everywhere, and it's just more of an entrenched kind of thing you do on a night out. And so, in that respect, in that regard, it's um, they're a bit more um, evolved in terms of not feeling so squirmy if someone stands up to do some comedy, which I find here as a there's a few more open mic nights and comedy nights. When I left, it was just the classic in Auckland, really. And now there's nights popped up all over the place in bars. But the audience can get a bit squirmy, like, oh, no, someone's about to do some comedy. Is it going to be good? I don't want to feel awkward. You know, there's that. I can feel that vibe. So Kiwi. <laughs> yeah, it is. It really is. But in, in Australia, the, the tap... I think we, and I hate to be like to perpetuate any type of stereotype, but we do, we are quirkier in our humour. Uh, Australians, it's a bit broader. Um, and so, yeah, we, for, I don't know why, but we, the, the tap really um, tickled people a lot more. I did the show in 2019 at the basement in Auckland and I definitely felt like the tap stuff flew a lot better. Especially if I'm a tap standing there doing jokes about plumbing, just that made Kiwi audiences delighted. Whereas in Australia, they were a little bit kind of, that's a bit weird. Flew in Edinburgh, though. Edinburgh yeah. would have loved Yes, this. Edinburgh is the best. 
best audience. I can't wait to do the show there one day, hopefully. The, with the tap, I mean, is the is tap and the show evolving? I mean, you can do the same thing a million times, and that, that can be great. But are you finding that the story is, is evolving and changing? Yeah. Well, there's um, some of the jokes. There's just the actual material that both the tap comedian and Barney the comedian there that's fluid that's that's evolving and getting better um the journey of the tap yeah he he has a he has a uh there's a power shift where he he kind of makes a stand against um being the butt so the Barney comedian makes a joke about this tap. I saw this tap crying and I thought, oh, he's sad. So I tried to turn him on. And um, and then the tap talks about, the other day this comedian came into the toilet where I was working and started staring at me and I followed him and he was using me as material. He, he made me the butt of his joke. And then he has this big rant about sort of punching down, I guess. Like, don't use someone else's misery as the material for your jokes. That's lazy. And that's that's getting stronger and better. The more experience I have in the comedy scene, the more ammo I have and the more kind of disgust I feel towards that kind of lazy comedian that punches down. Are there any other inanimate objects that you're thinking about that you could you could could join you on stage? Or are you and the tap pretty tight at the moment? Yeah. My next favourite is the curtains. I have a scene where these there's some curtains that are like keep breaking up and getting back together and breaking up and getting back together. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, yeah, I really I love their relationship because uh, it's really fleeting and fickle. Like they they fall in love and break apart, fall in love, break apart. And I just I really I want to get that scene better, but I love it. I want to delve into the curtains some more. Bernie Duncan and Tap Head are on at Bats Theatre in Wellington from this Tuesday.